We are starting the show, though, talking about drug decriminalization. It officially starts tomorrow in B.C. It is a pilot project, a three-year project, looking at decriminalizing small amounts of illicit drugs. And more information will be released, and we'll be talking about that coming up on the show. But we are starting with a B.C. mayor who still has a few questions about the decriminalization and what exactly that will mean for the province. Michael Getz joins us now. He is the Mayor of Merritt. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, this is something that is getting a lot of attention today, and this is the policy of decriminalization on small amounts, that exemption of small amounts of illicit drugs. What are your thoughts on the fact that BC is going ahead with this? Well, I'm I'm two different thoughts. I mean, I I have spoken out uh, my concerns about the ability for um, these drugs to be used out and about uh, just like anything else. Um, but I also uh, hope that this program succeeds in what it succeeds in. Like I have been critical about it, but I'd really like to be able to say a year from now is completely wrong and this has been a great thing. It's been tried in other places like Portugal and Australia, and they have had some success. The only problem that I see with this is that we don't really have an end to the means. How are we tracking the results? I, I haven't seen that part. Like, a year from now, how do we know whether this has worked? Or we, we haven't given any information on how we're going to track this. Um, you know, we now know that this will now be called uh, an administrative penalty, and um, there's no counseling involved. The, the whole idea in these other successful areas is that uh, the the situation was realized. Uh, it was an administrative offense, but they were not charged. But then they were offered counseling and help to work out in the community and make a better life. And that's, I think, what it's designed for. But I haven't seen that part of it. So I'm hoping we see something like that. But it, it is a concern for a lot of people. How much of an issue would you say it is as well in the area of merit or, or in merit as far as illicit drug use and people that, that maybe are dealing and struggling with addiction? I don't think it's going to be different here in merit than it will be anywhere else. I mean, uh, addiction is a horrible thing. As I've said before, I lost my son-in-law to the opioid crisis uh, a little over a year ago, my son-in-law. And, um, you know, there was all sorts of help offered. He refused to take it until somebody is actually ready to change that part of their life and really want the help and, and get the help and, and make a change. It, it's really not going to change the way they look at things. And again, like I say, I, I hope that this does have some positive effect on the communities. I mean, it's a trial project for three years and we have to get used to it being here. Uh, I'm just concerned about certain things like maybe unused drugs being left out in the open or needles just being discarded out in the open. That's a concern for me and uh, I think a concern for a lot of communities. But again, if this helps people and we are able to move forward with uh, helping people uh, you know, reclaim their lives, then uh, I guess you know, we'll see how it goes. I know one of the concerns that had been raised as well is the idea of enforcement. And I know in some places as well, police haven't been actively enforcing uh, people who maybe are caught with small amounts of opioids or small amounts of these drugs. But is it your concern that even though that will continue as far as there there won't be enforcement, could that lead to people perhaps using these substances or, or using illicit drugs in, in more public areas? Well, that's the concern. I mean, as a community, we have been left with a certain ability to make some changes, and we've had one of our lawyers look at it. We can still set up things that could say, like it says, you know, no smoking within three meters of a door. So you can do those kind of things with the same issues with the drug use. 
uh, openly. Um, it does concern me that it will be open. And I mean, how open will it be? I don't honestly know. And I guess this is where we come into uncharted waters and we'll try and figure out where we're going from here. So will you be looking at possibly then having bylaws that would be specific to merit that would kind of regulate that, what you just talked about as far as the areas and, and what kind of drug use might be seen in public? Yes, uh, we will be putting that towards uh, council in the next uh, meeting or the meeting after to um, uh, rule out what uh, the lawyer has deemed we can and cannot do. And then we will act accordingly from there to protect our citizens and uh, allow this program to uh, move forward. Have you had any legal advice at this point about whether or not that would be possible or how that might work? Yes, we do. Uh, and we, like I say, we, we are having a, a meeting with all of council to be brought up to speed on that um, because we did have a lawyer look at this about five weeks ago because I, I knew this was coming and I wanted to get um, our, our, our voice out there. And if you do look through the whole thing, they do leave a little bit of an open area where local uh, governments can make some changes, not massive changes, but changes to uh, you know, protect the community. So we've had a lawyer look at it. He's given us his opinion and we'll be presenting that to council. And then we will most likely construct some bylaws after that pertaining to what we can do um, legally. And do you, do you have any concerns about kind of going out alone? Or I, I mean, I guess potentially there could be other cities or other municipalities that do something similar. But do you have any concerns that the rules in merit might be a little different, say, than even neighboring cities? Well, the rules won't be any different in merit than any neighboring city to a certain degree because every city will be allowed to do exactly what we're going to be allowed to do. We've just decided to go out and get a legal opinion, possibly before other communities have. So um, we won't. Be, if other communities decide to enact the exact same things we are, it's about as far as they can go. So we will be limited as communities as, uh, as what we can do, but it will all look the same in each community. And I don't think it'll be gigantic, drastic things. I think it will just be, uh, you know, private uh, uh, private businesses can put up signs that say, you know, no, no drug use on site and stuff like that. And we can put up signs that say, you know, this is a zone for it. This is not a zone for it. And I don't think that will change in many other communities as well. You mentioned as well some of the other models where where there is similar to this um, and places like Portugal where there is that choice of, yes, you won't be charged criminally, but that means you do have to go into a treatment program or get some kind of treatment or counselling. Uh, right now, are there the services even available in, in your community if somebody is looking for treatment or looking to go that route? Is it even, do you know, is it even possible that they're able to get that? I, I think they can be counseled to, we don't actually have anything like that in our community, but close to Kamloops, there's Sage, and there's a couple of other places that is available to those kind of, uh, that kind of uh, situation. So we don't, I mean, we, we, will, we, we do have health workers and uh, we do have uh, people on the street here that are trying to help with uh, people that are addicted that probably uh, would be able to uh, recommend a spot for them to go to. But as of what we have in Merritt, no, we, we don't have a, any kind of uh, position like that, no. Would you like to see more of a focus put on that or more access then made available to people that are looking for treatment? Well, I think anybody would like that. I mean, I couldn't imagine waking up every day, you know, uh, I think every single person that has an addiction would love to just have a, a, a day where they didn't have to worry about addiction. So, yeah, I would love to see a treatment center and, and a, you know, 30, 60, 90 day uh, center where they can learn how to get back into society. Uh, I would love to have something like that because everybody should have the opportunity to, uh, to, to uh, shake uh, their addictions and, and uh, get back to being uh, 
uh, living a normal life like, life like they used to, because uh, I think that's all everybody ever wants. No, it's very, very true. Um, Mayor, just to, just to recap what you had said about potentially bringing in citywide bylaws in merit, so it will go to the council and go for discussion. Uh, if they do come in or you do bring in these guidelines, do you have a timeline in mind? It would be fairly fairly quick um, because today you know, tomorrow is the first day, so it would be guidelines that we got in uh, fairly quick. So I would imagine within weeks uh, of uh, it coming to council and the information given, and I think we would react very quickly. Yes. All right, Mayor Getz, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for chatting with us today. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Well, there is going to be a vigil held this evening, and that is to remember a woman who disappeared on this day in 2021. And since then, her mother has been advocating to get a missing adult alert in place. Shailene Keeler-Bell, a 23-year-old Chilliwack mother, disappeared on January 30th, 2021. And sadly, her body was found in the Fraser River near Coquitlam on June 2nd of of that year. It has been a difficult time, to say the least, for Shailene Bell's mother, uh, Alina Durham. But uh, Alina is joining us now on the line to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, Alina, thank you so much for being with us and for talking about this today. Thank you for having me. I know today is uh, an extremely difficult day for you, and we'll talk a little bit more about the vigil that's going to be held this evening. But can we talk also about the uh, motion that you have put forward or the, the, the bill that you would like to see passed as far as the missing adult alert bill? Can you talk a little bit more about what that would look like? Sure. So basically what I'm trying to do is I am trying to take what's already in place our, our um, old alerts are pretty much the same. They're all generic, just worded a little differently. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get an alert Canada-wide for everyone with no age limit on it. I want it, it I believe it opens up um, for everybody. It opens up for elderly. Um, we don't need to label everything. It's just pretty um, strict criteria that the victim is in danger um, and that the victim could possibly have been abducted. And that's it. That's it. And that's what we're looking for, Canada-wide, all over. And when you've brought this idea forward uh, before, when you started bringing this idea before, and I know that you've gone to your MP as well, what kind of a response have you gotten uh, to the idea of having an adult alert, the missing adult alert? I spoke to quite um, quite a few people, and I haven't had anybody opposed. In fact, um, I've had a lot of people say the same thing, that we can improve upon a system that's already in place, um, and, that's, and I truly believe that. Um, as for um, the only pushback that I've had a little bit is the privacy, and um, I believe as for the privacy, when, in a, when, a, when a, um, they put out for... Um, a missing child. They put just the specifics, the basics, the child's picture, um, you know, as much info, you know, as they can give. You know, um, even when an adult goes missing, um, they will still put um, a missing adult at high risk or, um, you know, a picture 
um, possibly, um, you know, and, and, and info, as, you know, just as specific, um, but some info. Um, I, I can't honestly believe that, you know, there's so many missing adults that go missing intentionally that that majority of for missing adults. I believe that the danger of being in imminent danger far outweighs um, the, um, you know, even if we did get somebody, um, you know, that was upset about their um, privacy, um, you know, even if they um, go to them, um, which my belief is they do, and, um, you know, state that, yes, you know, we put an alert out, um, we thought that you were in danger, um, you know, um, they still have that right to their privacy and do whatever they choose to do at that time. Right. And we have seen cases of that in the past where even police will put out an update saying the person has been found or or something where you can sometimes read between the lines and see that maybe it was a scenario like that. But but like you said, really weighing the the benefits opposed to the negatives of, of putting that alert out there. Um, when you talk about or when you think back to to when your daughter disappeared and again uh, on this day in 2021, how might things have changed, do you think, had there been that that automatic missing adult alert? Um, sorry. Um I believe that any, I believe the alert should be put out right away. I believe that you lose some time. And just for that fact alone, it's beneficial. Um, and I believe that we could have used an alert at the time. I believe for anybody, more ears, eyes, and as the police have voiced themselves, that they solicit the public's help with more ears, eyes, and people watching, um, that, um, it's a it's a win win. We already know that the Amber abduction alert has more than exceeded the su- success that it's had, and our numbers are high. Our numbers are high in BC, and you know um, it's just it's just a system that opens the doors for others. You know we have the elderly to consider. Um, you know they do actually have an Amber alert in Alberta where it is um, for minors and it is for adults with mental, physical um, disabilities. And, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, sit there and label, label, label. This is just one criteria, simple, keep it simple, keep it simple, just one criteria, and that is for everyone who could possibly be in imminent danger. And, and, you know, when, when they get their info come in, right, it's what, you know, they have their databases. And, you know, if, if, if they're having, you know, people show up that, you know, have gone missing prior, or, you know, they, they're, 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 they're aware of that also, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm talking under extreme, extreme suspicious circumstances. Like my daughter, it was so out of character for her to go. Right. And if it's at the police's discretion, which it is to put that alert out, if they're collecting the right info and, and they're doing it, they're going to know which cases are, you know, what cases are um, where they're collecting the info that they know that, hey, you know what? Yeah, this is out of, so out of 
circumstance for the out of character for that person that then they can act and use their discretion um, to put that alert out because at the end of the day, they get that final say. 117 on this Monday afternoon, continuing now with Alina Durham. She has been fighting for an adult alert system to be put in place for when adults disappear under circumstances that are out of the ordinary. And she has been doing this since her daughter, Shailene Bell, disappeared on January 30, 30th in 2021. And uh, Alina, just before the break, we were talking about what the criteria would be. And we're not talking about cases or alerts going out for every case, but again, meeting those uh, those thresholds of behavior that is unusual and, and other reasons that it would be deemed suspicious. Exactly. Just keep it simple. Kiss. Keep it simple. So basically, they already have it. They already have it in place, right? RBC alert. The victim is under, 18, eight, under the age of 18. We want to take that out. Police have reasonable grounds to believe the victim has been abducted. It's already done for them. It's already written. We can still leave victim in there. Victim can be a child. Victim can be an adult, right? Police have reasonable grounds to believe the victim is in imminent danger. Police have obtained enough descriptive info about the victim, abductor, and or vehicle involved. Police believe that the alert can be issued in a time that will provide um, a reasonable expectation that um, the victim, because they have that the child, so we want it changed that the victim can be returned and or the abductor, even if the um, under the age. Um, we don't want we don't want 18. We want under 18. We just want no age limit. That's what I'm looking for. Right. And what's astounding to me is that it's all we already have it in place. We're just not using it. I believe all systems can be improved. We learned that through COVID with the EI system, um, how outdated that was. And um, yeah, I mean, we can always improve. And when when Shailene disappeared, I know that you put up posters and, and the family made posters and put them out and, and did their own kind of alert system as much as possible. Do you remember what it was like when people saw those? Did you get a lot of reaction from the community and were, and were people aware of this and then able to look or able to be part of the search? Um, well, first of all, um, I was shocked by how many people didn't know. Okay, and um, we had posters everywhere, everywhere, and people were still not aware. And the RCMP have their page for missing adults. Well, not everybody goes to the page. And then we have Facebook and Twitter and everything else. And it's great. It's great to have the technology. But sometimes things get misinterpreted through that. And that's why I emphasize, and I more than 110% believe, that with an alert in place for everyone and just that criteria being followed, it's a win-win. And it it helps the RCMP. It's more eyes eyes and ears. It would help our elderly. It's just so beneficial. It's just kind of a no-brainer. What needs to happen then at this point? Like you said, the system is already there. It would need a few small changes. What needs to happen, do you think, to make this bill happen? Well, I I was um, told under the belief, and then and I was told that, okay, so kudos to Mr. Mark Stroll, seriously, wholeheartedly, for him um, 
stepping up like he has. I'm very appreciative. And um, I already know that a letter was sent out. This is just to give people an idea that I'm so tired. You'll hear me saying a lot. I'm so tired of broken systems. A letter was sent out May 25th, 2022, and it was sent out. It took five, almost six months for the, that particular person, I'm not going to say who, um, to respond back and say they didn't have the authority to answer the question. Hmm. So now my belief is is that um, Mr. Mark Stroll's office, um, where I last left off up, um, and spoke with Ottawa, is that um, they checked to make sure that this same letter went to Mr. Marco Mendeschino's office and they um, called to make sure that they had it so they couldn't say they didn't have it and that they just phoned recently because I was going to be speaking and doing this and I want to get my facts straight before I speak and that I was told that um, they... They called the office to see if they could possibly give a time um, frame of when they could give us some kind of response, and they haven't answered back. So my understanding is, um, wow, it's just mind-boggling to me that even our own MP cannot get an answer. Hmm. It is absolutely, and and I can only imagine how this is making things so much more difficult for you, uh, Alina. I understand a vigil is going to be held this evening as as well. Are you, what's going to be happening to remember Shailene? Um, well, what's happening is this. So I always said, and and I stand by it, that um, my daughter was. So beautiful and, and, and just cared so much for others. She put others before herself and she would stand for this. She would be saying, no, mom, mom, no, no, go do it, do it. Don't stop, don't stop. So I'm going to be standing tonight with a commitment to honor my daughter and pave the way for other families with a missing adult. And that's how I'm honoring my daughter because it is something that has to be changed, needs to be changed, and um, I won't stop until it does. All right, Alina, we will leave it there. I will have, sorry, I will have um, obviously a personal moment with my own, with my family, that we'll be doing something just more personal and private, obviously. But tonight will be um, about standing down um, at Townsend Park um, in Chilliwack. Um, at 6 p.m. in the parking lot, and we will be down there. Anybody's welcome to come join us, um, and I will be honoring my daughter by speaking on that tonight. All right. Uh, Alina, thank you so much. I know, again, uh, it's a very difficult day, but thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It is cold, it is January, but we are still talking about patios and there were people sitting on patios yesterday, bundled up and enjoying them. So is it time to make patio spaces permanent? We're talking about the pandemic part-time or temporary patios, as you could call them, that sprung up at so many places. Time to make them a permanent fixture or not? Joining us to talk more about this is Sarah Kirby-Young, a Vancouver City 
counselor with the, the party, ABC. Counselor, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. I'm always happy to talk about patios. <laughs> well, it does seem, I know there are much more pressing and important things happening, but this is a big issue, especially for the businesses that really turn to those and have made a go of the patios. So where is the program right now as far as businesses that, that took advantage of that and set up patios? So um, just to clarify right off the top, uh, we've already regularized or normalized this program. Uh, so they are they have been made permanent. So what people would call for short the TEP or the Temporary Expedited Patio Program, that was a motion I brought forward early in 2020 with the pandemic to allow those curbside patios um, to pop up so that businesses could continue to operate and that people could socialize and have great spaces and um, you know, feel safe and healthy during the pandemic. And so we did that for a couple of years and we have, uh, as of the fall of 2021, that seasonal opportunity to have a pop-up patio will be there permanently for restaurants. What we have coming forward to City Council on February 14th that people are talking about is enabling some of the businesses that were precluded from having patios, uh, like neighborhood grocery stores, uh, some retailers, or others who might want to have a chair and tables outside and let people have a cup of coffee. Um, for example, um, because they were only allowed to care on business within their building. It was because of some old um, building schedules and district schedules, and that's what's going to have to count on the 14th. But the patio program that was such a runaway success, that will continue. All right. So, so what would be the uh, kind of pushback, or what would be the reason to not just allow that and to allow other businesses, if they've got the space to do that, to set up patios or, or like you said, a couple tables and chairs? It was just simply a matter of um, outdated zoning schedules, and it impacted a, a few specific areas, neighborhoods in the city, um, and some specific businesses. So I can give you a couple of examples. One would be a neighborhood corner store um, where, you know, somebody's getting a coffee or a sandwich. They're sort of slash cafes and corner stores now. Um, or there's a great little store, Fuji, I think, off of South Granville that's a gift shop. Um, great place to browse. They also brought in a latte machine and wanted to just have a, simply a table and two chairs set up outside. Um, and so that's what council is going to consider. But the bigger patio program that we saw such huge success, I think it was a high of 700 pop-up patios um, at one point. So that's going to carry on because it added so much vibrancy to the city. People really loved how their neighborhoods came to life and just people out about enjoying the outdoors and their, their own neighborhoods. And so in the example, though, say of a gift shop or a place that has a, a, a coffee machine that they do want to set up. So right now, if they just put a table and two chairs in front of their business, would they run the risk of getting a ticket for that? Yeah, it's not permitted now because it's uh, they fall they fell under this categorization where um, all the use for their business had to be contained within the building and not outside. And so what this does is kind of just level the playing field for everybody um, and give people a chance in all the neighborhoods across the city. Would it also come then with a fee as well, or City Hall would then charge, is it charged based on the amount of space or the, the square footage? Yeah, there is a, I think it's a $225 application fee. Um, and then depending upon, you know, what people are looking to set up in their specific business, like if you're using part of the street space or curbside, it's a pretty large patio, then some square footage fees uh, may apply. Um, obviously, because there's foregone parking revenue um, and you are using a public asset. Um, but uh, I think one of the important things is to make sure that our fees remain competitive with other cities as well. Are there other areas, do you think, around this that, that could use a little streamlining as far as the red tape or the steps that businesses have to go through to do something like that, to set up a table and some chairs? 
Yeah, I, I think we could always streamline. Uh, we saw during the pandemic when um, there was a will, there was a way. And the city in record time, I think it was unprecedented, turned these patio permits around in 48 hours. Um, and that was unheard of. And that was just a desire to small, support small business. And I think that's the kind of culture that we want to have at the city. So having things like um, sort of predetermined patio designs, you know, if you're going to pick, if you're having one of these four designs, for example, then, you know, check your ask your permit and being able to just get a simple um, update online. You maybe need an inspector to check that you're not covering up utilities or something like that. Um, but really, that's our goal, um, I think, of this council is really to streamline permitting and regulations across the city. That's the one thing we hear about all the time that really impedes business in the city. Uh, because it does seem, that the, I mean, and, and I get it, it, maybe you don't want it to be a, a free-for-all with people setting these things up. And especially you mentioned sometimes they're on, they take the place of parking or they're on a sidewalk and taking some of that away maybe from pedestrians or, or people getting around. But I mean, some of the rules too at places that sell alcoholic beverages, if it happens to be on the other side of the city sidewalk, the patron can't carry the beer or a drink to their table because you cross six feet of sidewalk. I mean, things like that seem like like pretty harsh rules that that are there because they're on the books, but but don't make a lot of sense. Uh, they are, and some of that uh, the city can control, and some we can't. Uh, that relates a lot to the liquor regulations, which are handled by the province. Um, but some of the things the city can focus on is we need to make sure, for example, if it's a transit route, uh, transit's maintained. Um, accessibility is really important. Uh, people love the outdoor patios and the pop-ups. They want to keep them, but we need to make sure that we strive to be one of the most accessible cities that um, people have safe passage through, particularly if they have um, any mobility impairments. You know, we have an increasing seniors population. So that's, those are the things that the city can focus on. Um, but the liquor regulations can be very complex. Unfortunately, that's not, that's not in our, in our um, bellywick to change those. And you mentioned, too, so with the application fee, then if this does get expanded then to other businesses that they can expand out a bit and also have patios, would it then would it be the the application and go ahead? Or is it then you apply and you have to wait and see if you get approval from from City Hall and go and, and, and something like that that could take a longer process? Uh, you would you would still apply, uh, which enables the city to keep track of, of those initiatives. And hopefully the, those are usually, as I said, the simpler cases. They're very different than so the restaurants or larger patios where you're seating a lot of people. Or you might be dealing with liquor regulations. Oftentimes it might be a small takeout cafe. Um, or, as I said, something like a retail gift shop. And so those should be simpler to process. And for the restaurants and businesses that already have the patios that, that are made permanent, do they have to apply every year or is it once you have one, you've got it in place and, and it can stay and, that, and that's yours? They do have to apply. There's two choices for them. There's the seasonal program uh, now, which is available if you want to have a patio from April to October um, and you want to set up on public space like the curbside because we have changes in our city. Um, for example, we're building a subway, transit routes can change and update, that kind of thing. Um, and then we have a year-round permanent patio program. So if you want to invest in building out a really nice patio um, and you want a guaranteed location, then you can apply for that on, as a year-round option. And then, of course, if somebody's lucky enough to have um, private space attached to their business, um, then they have the ability to set that up permanently as well. And is that something that they would have to, to keep applying and paying the fee, or is that once it's done, it's done? Uh, they do need to pay an annual fee for it, um, but the idea of having sort of multi-year permits come, has also come up as one way that we can help streamline that somebody doesn't have to go in and do that application every year. So it could be a multi-year or a very simple renewal.
And are they the, the kinds of things as well with the, the fee, is it, or with the, the applications, is it, because I know when we've talked about this in the past, some of the things that came up was perhaps in some scenarios, the, the uh, sheltering over the patio maybe got in the line of view of, of a truck or that it, it kind of limited visibility on the street or for, for traffic. Is it looking at those things as well? Yeah, I mean, we learned a number of great lessons during the pandemic when we were really flexible about things like sight lines and um, businesses wanting to have heaters to keep people warm, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's part of what in, went into developing the new patio guidelines uh, for businesses is to help them um, understand what the requirements are so that uh, there's really good, clear information and sort of here's some straightforward patio designs to incorporate. Here's some do's. Um, and here's some don'ts. And so um, all that information went into updating the guidelines after we had a couple of years of um, those pop-up curbside patios under our belt. All right. So the public hearing is coming up next month, not too, too long uh, from now. Is that a chance, though, I would imagine? Are you hearing any opposition to this? Uh, I have not heard any um, opposition to uh, to this sort of use for those sort of small um, additional businesses. I think that we want to be as creative as possible. Space is so expensive. Um, for small businesses in the city, so we can give them more opportunity to really get the most out of their location. Um, it makes tons of sense, so I'm, I'm, I haven't heard any opposition. All right, so we will wait and see what happens with the public hearing and the decision. Councillor Kirby Young, thank you so much for being with us. No worries. Take care.